everyone. This is Dr. Tim and Hillary for another Dr. Tim's Aquatics podcast. Here it's a little chilly up there, Hillary. A little. Ooh, man. Got the wood burning stove going. Right. Well, keep the pig away. Yeah. Anyways. I... Okay. Today, we're going to talk about bacteria. Woohoo. That's exciting. That wasn't a very exciting woohoo, but <laughs> I am very excited. Like bacteria is your wheelhouse. That's it. They have much more culture than viruses. It's not Monday, Tim. It's not Monday. Well, if you laughed, you were on the inside of that. If you didn't laugh, <laughs> you were going, what is he talking about? Well, come on, folks. Catch up on our Monday bacteria joke of the week. How do they find that, Hillary? Um, if you visit our Facebook or our Instagram page or our Twitter page, we post them every Monday. So make sure to check it out. We have a new joke every single week. And we're thinking about making one of the jokes into a shirt. So if you have a favorite joke that we've done over the last year, comment and let us know and put your vote in for a specific joke on a shirt. Two bacteria walk into a bar. Uh, I, don't, I don't get a vote, folks. I don't get a vote. <laughs> You're biased. Yes, I'm buying, but I'm not. Uh, <laughs> okay. All right, so let's jump into this. Um, bacteria tend to be just a big black box in terms of nobody wants to really delve into them and uh, and understand them from the point of, well, bacteria, just bacteria, they're all the same. On the opposite end of that spectrum is some companies that want to wow you with buzzwords and say lots of things and string it string it together in a big long sentence but they actually mean nothing but this it sounds impressive and so today we're going to try to take a little bit of mystery out of that and go over some basic types of classification of bacteria because that will help you understand what you're trying to accomplish and then at some point Hillary we're going to have to take a deep dive but not today into microbial ecology because that's a becoming a hot topic and the people talking most about it seem to know the least about it and I say this because it's not these are not brand new concepts. Microbial ecology is a whole field of study. There's the International Society of Microbial Ecology, organizations, symposiums. These concepts are known and discussed, and yet the aquarium hobby has some people in there that don't even want to pay attention or learn about any of these basic concepts and make it up as they go. And it turns out to be completely wrong. But people yes. follow them down the path. <laughs> well, that sounds like a good topic, a, a good rabbit hole topic for a podcast. Yeah, and... I got to figure out how to make this um, a little easier to, you know, easy to understand. Because there's, there's no point in me giving a lecture to a bunch of scientists because we're not. It's it's a bunch of hobbyists trying to understand how to take these concepts and apply them to their tank. So we've got to think about that a little bit. 
All right. It's on my list. Okay. Anyways, an introduction to bacteria. And the first thing is to understand that bacteria are, they're just like fish. There's ones that tolerate salt water, ones that tolerate fresh water. And there's, you know, they, they can do better. You know, people want to say bacteria are primitive, but there's bacteria that can live at the, you know, in totally oxygen free environments. There's bacteria that can live in the lowest pH, you know, acid pH that would just dissolve us or fish or corals into nothingness. So they definitely have a wider variety or wider range of environments they can live in. But that doesn't mean every one of them can live in every one of these environments. And we talk about that or we or because humans like to classify things so that we can understand things. We talk about this by starting out and classifying bacteria. And that is important to us because we have both general types of bacteria in our aquarium. So the first type are called the autotrophs. And those are the nitrifiers, autotrophic bacteria, get their energy from, they can be uh, photos, you know, sunlight, and then they're called photoautotrophs, or they can get it from chemicals like ammonia or nitrite, and then those are called chemoautotrophs. And that's what nitrifiers are because the ammonia that the ammonia oxidizers oxidize to nitrite is the, releases energy and the nitrite being oxidized to nitrate releases energy and that's the source of energy for the bacteria versus heterotrophs so there's autotrophs and there's heterotrophs heterotrophs are bacteria that use carbon organic carbon like glucose and sucrose or just organics in general you know this is how the circle of nutrients or, or things are recycled all you know all that organic material decaying well the decaying process is bacteria breaking that down eventually into carbon dioxide, ammonia, you know, diff different compounds and elements that recycle back into the earth. And, and that's how nutrients and elements and things are recycled. So we need both groups of bacteria. And where things can start getting confusing is that people want to say, well, heterotrophic bacteria can take care of the ammonia in your system. And as with most things with microbiology and science in the aquarium hobby, what some people state is what I say is a partial truth. Yes, there is something called heterotrophic nitrification, which means heterotrophic bacteria, you know, ones that use organic carbon, converting or, or taking care of the ammonia or nitrite in some form. The issue with that is that that process is super slow. And if you are trying to rely on heterotrophs to do nitrification, it's going to be a long, long time before you get any nitrification going on. 
So the autotrophic nitrifiers are much more efficient at this. And while they take time to get started, because they don't grow very fast, they are much more efficient once they get going and per cell can convert more ammonia or nitrite than the heterotrophs. And this lag time where it takes longer for the nitrifiers to get going versus the heterotrophs is while is why I have many times in these podcasts and in the talks I give mentioned don't add heterotrophic bacteria when you first start up your aquarium because you're go going to give the heterotrophs which are already grow faster a head start at the micronutrients and they will outcompete the autotrophic nitrifiers and then your nitrification process will, will slow, which means it'll take longer for your nitrifiers to become established. So you don't want to add a bunch of heterotrophic nitrifying back or I'm sorry, heterotrophic bacteria to your system when you first start up. We get this question a lot: is you know, how soon can I start adding the waste away bacteria? Or I want to add this company's bacteria, that company's bacteria to add diversity. You don't want to do that right now. And I won't even get into the concept of, are you really adding diversity? You just don't want to add competitors. You don't want to put organics in the system. So Can I interject? Sure. So when you get some of our bacteria, right, it's not just one species. It's, it's a mix of them? Yes. Yep. Okay. So you kind of do get a little bit of diversity, right? Well, you do, you you do, you you, and it's not a hundred percent nitrifiers. Our mix runs anywhere from sixty to seventy percent nitrifiers. It is, it does have heterotrophs. You can't stop it. Um, but what you don't want to do is dump a bunch of heterotrophs in there and then start feeding the heterotrophs fish food and shrimp and all these different things to promote them. You're trying to give the nitrifiers uh, a little head start to get established. But don't they get hungry? They don't get hungry. No, they don't get hungry. You really said that. No. <laughs> I just wanted to hear your reaction. <laughs> Sorry, I had a Sheldon moment. That <laughs> Yeah, no, they don't get hungry. No, folks, they don't get hungry. Um, I'm, I'm stunned here, Hillary. I forgot the word. Uh, no, they, um, bacteria don't get hungry. Nitrifiers don't get hungry. And what Hillary's making fun of me is because we get this a lot where people, well, I didn't have any ammonia, but I had high nitrite. And I know the instructions say don't add ammonia when there's high nitrite, but I don't want the bacteria to starve. And even I think someone said they're hungry. And so they keep on dumping ammonia in the system. And when you do that, all you're going to do is get the nitrite even higher and the whole system's going to block, which means nitrification's not going to happen very fast at least. So resist adding ammonia, just pouring ammonia into the system. The bacteria are not going to starve to death. They, they don't have to be fed ammonia every day. So now we, uh, there, that's the difference between the you know autotrophs and um, uh, heterotrophs. You know, and I mentioned there's photoautotrophs, 
Well, those are, and I'll come back to these a little bit, but the purple non-sulfur bacteria, which is, you know, they come and go in the business of companies selling these things, they're photo chemotrophs, uh, so photoautotrophs, sorry. Nitrifiers are chemo. They get their energy from um, chemical reaction. Phototrophs, they get photoautotrophs, get their energy from sunlight. And that's what the purple sul uh, sulfate bacteria or non-PNSB, purple non-sulfur bacteria. Why that's their term is because there's purple sulfate reducing bacteria too. And you really, really don't want purple sulfate reducing bacteria into your tank because what they produce, and we're going down a small rabbit hole here, but purple sulfate reducing bacteria produce hydrogen sulfide. They're, as I have said many, many times, contrary to one manufacturer out there who promotes this, there is no way, nothing good about producing hydrogen sulfide in your system. You do not want anoxic zones in your marine aquarium because that will produce hydrogen sulfide, which will kill everything in your system. So, and I just want to say it smells awful. Well, it smells like rotten eggs, so you can tell it. <laughs> and this is, you know, um, what, what, and you can you can unfortunately not not intentionally produce this on your own. And remind me about this because let me finish my thought, Hillary. But then let's talk about some applications of of what happens with bacteria. Okay. So the other type of classification with bacteria is aerobic, or do, do, do they need oxygen or not? Now. And this leads into they're going to, you know, suffocate, get with nitrifiers. And then people say, well, nitrifiers can't live in bottles because they can't breathe and they're going to run out of oxygen. They don't have lungs. They don't breathe. The only time nitrifiers need oxygen present in the water is when they're converting ammonia to nitrite or nitrite to nitrate. If there's no oxygen present, they can't do that. Doesn't mean they're dying. Doesn't mean they're suffocating. It just means that that biochemical reaction inside the cell isn't going to happen. And one day we should do this live and I can write this out on a whiteboard in the gory details. No, that's just a threat, folks. You, you don't if want People to like the rabbit holes. Yeah, but this is, I, this is a biochemical rabbit hole with equations and everything. You don't know. You don't know. Yeah, somebody probably. Anyways, so they can live fine in bottles because in our bottles, there's no ammonia. There's no nitrite. So they're not working. They're not doing anything. Okay? So they, don't, they do not need oxygen to live. They need oxygen to do their job, convert ammonia or nitrite. So that's the um, nitrifiers. The heterotrophs, though, most heterotrophic bacteria have, and this is the neat thing about bacteria, is they can live in systems, not only live, but produce. And I'll explain that term in a minute. 
there they can live and reproduce in environments that have oxygen so that's aerobic they can live and reproduce in systems that have low oxygen anaerobic and so that's usually you know 0.1 to 1 ppm or milligram per liter oxygen and they can even live and reproduce in anoxic environments with absolutely no oxygen in the environment. So that's the same cell can live across the range from no oxygen to oxygen saturation. Try doing that, humans. You say that's really impressive. Yeah. And so, so but now what now the, the issue is, is the reactant what they what they because they they want to reproduce you know they want to keep that's what that's what they as a, a bacterium only lives to become two bacteria and so what do they do well they they need some type of uh, energy you know carbon source an energy source and they need a carbon source in and, and folks realize I am making a big generalizations here. There's exceptions to everything, but let's stay in the treetops with the concepts here. So in your oxygenated aquarium, the heterotrophic bacteria like waste away, they're breaking down the organics in the system and they produce ammonia. And then ammonia goes into the nitrogen cycle. They produce ammonia and they produce carbon dioxide. The carbon has to go somewhere. So that's aerobic. And we need that. That's what we want. We don't want our aquariums full of sludge. This is how we get rid of things. That slime you feel, that's all bacteria. Now, your, that, that ammonia goes into the nitrification cycle, and you start building up nitrate. And you decide, you know, I want a more efficient way rather than water changes in my big 5,000-gallon aquarium um, to get rid of the nitrate. What can I do? Well, you can take the waste-away bacteria and many other types of heterotrophic bacteria, and if you put them in an anaerobic environment, which means low oxygen, and in this case, about a little less than two, that same cell will take the nitrate instead of the organic. It'll take the nitrate and it will start reducing that in, through a process called denitrification. And it goes through like four steps and produce nitrogen gas N2. And that's what, that's what denitrification is. People will say, well, do you have any denitrifying bacteria? We got billions of them. It's the waste away. It's just the environment that they're in. So aerobically, they're breaking down organics, producing ammonia. Anaerobically, they switch and they take nitrate out of the water. Now, they have to have organics. The nitrate is where they're getting their energy. They have to have organics. That's why in big, giant denitrification systems, the operators will add some type like molasses or you know, some type of sugar or something like that because they, the bacteria need that. And that's how then they convert the nitrate to dinitrogen. Okay. Well, what can happen in these systems is if you run out of two, two cases, you run out of nitrate and or the oxygen drops 
to zero. So the system becomes anoxic. The cell doesn't die. It doesn't sit there and go, well, I'll just wait around till I get something. No, the cell looks around and goes, hmm, what other chemical can I use here to get my energy? And since these nitrifiers are, or not nitrifiers, these heterotrophs are great at changing shapes, I meant that metaphorically, that, you know, what they use, is they go, well, it's, there's no oxygen, it's anoxic, there's plenty of sulfur in this system, I think I'm going to grab this sulfur. And I'm going to sulfate reduce because salt water is full of sulfur um, as, as sulfate. And they start reducing that and they produce hydrogen sulfide. That's kind of the basis between a sulfate denitrifier, denitrification filter. But this can happen in your aquarium and it can happen fast. The cells, the, the heterotrophic cells can pull this switch quite fast. How fast? Say you have a power outage. Say you've been in one of these storms, these hurricanes, or even here, you know, wildfire seasons starting up in California. Nowadays, they just turn off the electricity. You know, there's not even a fire. They just think there could possibly maybe sometime in the future, possibly maybe be a fire. So we're just going to turn your electricity off. And now your, your canister filter that sealed environment where water was running through it, when it had lots of water, so lots of oxygen, the bacteria were breaking down organics, clogging things up with the sludge and the, you know, the detritus, clogging the filter. That's what they do. Maybe it got a little lower and you had a little denitrification going on. That was fine. But now it's in a sealed, no water flowing through it. That canister is sealed and the bacteria sucked all the oxygen out of the water. And then they said, fine, no oxygen. We'll just, it's anaerobic. We'll just take this sulfate, start producing hydrogen sulfide. And you should pop that canister open and clean the whole thing out. You should not just leave it on. And when the electricity comes on, let all that water burp right into your aquarium. Because as Hillary says, You'll know, and it could be too late, by putting all that hydrogen sulfide, that dissolved hydrogen sulfide into the water. It's more soluble than oxygen than all living tissue. It even kills nitrifiers. And you could be experiencing a wipeout very, very quickly. And this change can happen. How fast? In your canister. It all depends upon the level of organics because that starts the process. That's why uh, we did a podcast on preparing for power outages and stuff like that, right, Hillary? Yeah, we did. I think yeah. uh, last July, maybe last yeah. summer. Yeah, one of the things I talked about is you know anticipation of these events. Clean your canister filter. Get all that organic material out of there. Why? Because that's what starts the whole tumbleweed down the hill. The organic is. Being, being fed upon by the bacteria. So they're consuming oxygen. And then it's like, well, we got low oxygen. We'll do the nitrate. That's gone. The oxygen's gone. We're going to do the sulfate. We're going to be producing hydrogen sulfide. But it's the same cell, folks. It isn't some you know, different type of bacteria. Do all heterotrophs do this? No, but the vast majority can. And that's, that's why 
you know, when people say, well, you need to buy this special bacteria, not really, or fancy names, you know, they're obligate, heterotrophic, facultative, whatevers. Those are, those are terms, but the, the usefulness to us is really not much because we're not trying to make a dedicated denitrifying filter or anything like that. What we're trying to do is understand what's going to happen when the power goes out or the filter gets clogged and that these bacteria can do this in a very quick, very quickly. And that's why I always preach, keep your mechanical filters clean because it's just going to break stuff down. Any questions Please. at this point, Hillary? Um. Yes, but I think it will take us off topic, and it's so I'm going to keep it to myself. She's no fun, is she, folks? Oh, oh, hey, we go there. <laughs> so anyway, so we, we talked about um, where they get their energy from, and we've talked about uh, aerobic, anaerobic, and anoxic, you know, environments and what's happening with the bacteria. And then another thing, you know, I mentioned earlier these purple uh, non-sulfur um, bacteria. Well, they can operate in a wide variety. They just happen to be colored purple, which is pretty cool looking. But they are photoheterotrophic bacteria. All right. Let's think about that, folks. Let's break that down. See, all this microbiology stuff comes from Germany, you know, you 100, 200 years ago. And, and if you know German, all they do is take words and they mash them together and make one big giant long word. So that photo, you can't pronounce. Photoheterotrophs. Okay. So mentioned photoautotrophs. I think I called them photoautotrophs earlier and that was my mistake. So I, I want to clean that up. The, the non-sulfur bacteria are heterotrophs the um, purple sulfate-reducing bacteria are autotrophs. Pete, sorry about that, folks. Um, so photoheterotrophs. That means photo, they get their energy from light. Heterotroph, they get their carbon from breaking down organic carbon. So, you know, organics and things like that. That's their carbon source versus nitrifiers which get their carbon from carbon dioxide. And I may, I'm not sure I mentioned that, Hillary, earlier. That um, I think maybe you did. did. But the, the, the nitrifiers, ammonia nitride oxidizers, they get their carbon from carbon dioxide, not from complex carbon sources or organic carbon sources, but CO2. But these uh, PNSBs are very... Diverse. They can operate in aerobic, anaerobic environments like most bacteria, not all. Uh, nitrifiers can't. Uh, but they need lights in there. And then the drawback is that they produce these films. It's kind of a visual film because they've got this uh, muck, <laughs> not a scientific word, but it looked all that all that great. And people usually want their systems really clean. They want their sump walls clean and things like that. And the um, purple non-sulfur bacteria will uh, 
cover things. And people can kind of confuse it because that purple color kind of looks like cyanobacteria and you can adjust those. So, I mean, they can be a tool just like all other bacteria, but you have to understand what they can and can't do. And, and none of these bacteria are miracles. Uh, and they all have references, but almost all of them will change. And that's where you have to be careful. It's like when you grow a lot of uh, uh, keto in your system and people are doing, you know, some type of an algae ball, algae scrubber, and it's growing really great. And then one day it collapses and pollutes their whole tank. Well, what happened? You have to harvest that material. You're incorporating all those nutrients into the keto. Now you have to get in there with scissors and trim that and remove it out of the system or the whole thing crashes. And that generally is good, is what happens with all sorts of our bacteria populations. So how do nitrifiers, quote, crash? Well, when your pH gets really low, the ammonia becomes is, is dominated by the NH4 plus the ammonium form. And so the bacteria can't use that. So they don't grow very well. The other, <clears throat> excuse me. The other thing is bacterial biofilms and bacteria themselves are food for other organisms. People ask this question a lot. Why do I have to keep on adding your bacteria? Why, you know, why aren't they in there? Well, because bacteria are great food. If they're pelagic, that means bacteria that are swimming around in the water column, especially in a coral reef tanks, what's happening is you have tons of corals and they're filter feeding the water, removing the bacteria. You have a skimmer. The skimmer is notorious at removing bacteria from the water column. We've talked about this all the time. Roller mats remove bacteria from the water. Even your filter pad, once it starts to become clogged up, is trapping bacteria and then, you know, removing it from the water column. So those, those are unintended. In some ways, you can't stop it because we don't want our aquariums to look filthy, you know, dirty and the, the, daughter, the water really dark, cloud, dark and cloudy and stuff like that. We want to be able to see things. But you have to understand why that's happening. And then the other thing is, you know, how can we affect this the most is by our water chemistry. And we've done several podcasts on this about, you know, certain microorganisms, whether it's cyanos or dinos or proteus or things like that, can dominate when the water chemistry is pushed to one extreme where what I call the pelagic, the good bacteria, I'm not talking about nitrifiers, but the good heterotrophic bacteria that live in the water column, where they, if there's no nitrate and no phosphate dissolved in the water, you're not going to be able to grow bacteria in the water column. And that makes the system ripe for all sorts of nuisance things like cyanos and dinos. And we've talked about that that for can i take a step back real quick sure so you were talking about biofilm a minute or so ago um so when people use the waste away gels right after they've been spent like 30 days or whatever sometimes people talk about how it's kind of like a gooey blob sort of thing that is considered a biofilm correct yep that's a biofilm 
And that's, you could feed that to the corals if you wanted. Sure. Oh, yeah. If you have any type of invertebrates, or if you have one in the freshwater shrimp tank, you'll see them all over that because that biofilm of bacteria and organics is getting eaten by smaller organisms, which then in turn are being eaten. You're the whole chain of uh, the whole food chain. It's great food. Yep. Yeah. The other type, but let's, I mean, that's a good point in terms of biofilms, because I think we had some questions on this, is people will say, well, I've got this white stringy stuff in my sump, or I've got, uh, you know, in the gravel, and what is that? That is bacterial biofilm that, you know, we're, you see it, especially if you have a lot of room deodorizers, or if you're adding a lot of, quote, these fuels. So what, what are these fuels and what are they doing? Okay, so we talked about earlier that these heterotrophs, what do they need? They need an organic source of carbon. That can be sugar, that can be uh, vinegar, that can be molasses, that can be vodka. Um, all these things are organic sources of carbon. And the, the theory behind this is that the aquarium water is limited in organic carbon, which is preventing the growth of bacteria. And as I said earlier, yes, in some cases that could be. But I would think that in the majority of cases, that's not it. There's, there's three things you need. You need carbon, nitrogen, phosphorus, micronutrients, you need some phosphate and some iron. You know, there are defined recipes that we have when we're trying to grow different types of bacteria. And the theory here is that you're trying that because you have the skimmer and all this stuff, you don't have enough bacteria in the, in the water. And that's why you're getting these nuisance. And some people will say, well, you don't have enough bacteria because you don't have enough carbon. And so you need to add this fuel. The drawback or the, or the, the incorrectness of this, or I'm sure the right word, is if, if you're fighting cyanobacteria, they want carbon too. Okay? And what are they going to do? You start dumping fuel in there, you're just fueling them. Because they, over, they they have the numbers. So before adding any of these fuels, you should physically re remove as much of, of the nuisance organism as you can. And then also be careful and, and st always start out slow. We say this on our waste away. Add a quarter dose. Don't just dump the bottles in. Don't, don't, don't go straight with the manufacturers, any manufacturers, even us. Recommendation. At least we put warnings on there because every tank is different. The amount of organics in the system, especially what's trapped underneath all that rock work, what's trapped in all that rock work. Uh, you know, some people go so far as they add bacteria and fuel at the same time. And that's like pouring lighter fluid on a lit barbecue. You're just going to get this huge bacterial bloom and explosion. What's going to happen? Anybody? Hillary? Anybody? Don't want me to put you on the spot there, Hillary. But 
You have your tank, it's running, it's full of oxygen, and you added bacteria and carbon to stimulate the growth of the bacteria. It's in an aerobic environment. The bacteria are going to grow out of control, and as they grow, they're sucking all the oxygen out of the water, suffocating your corals and your fish. And this is what happens in a lot of systems, especially because people will get some product and they'll add it at night when the lights are off. So now there's no, not even photosynthesis happening and happening, and they wake up the next day and their tank is cloudy and stinky and everything's dead. When first doing any type of addition, treatment, additive, don't do it at night and go to bed. Do it when you can pay attention, when you can react and see, oh, heck, the water's turning cloudy. I got to add aeration, turn my skimmer on, change water, you know, intervene before things get out of hand. Yep. And the same thing goes like, make sure you're going to be there. Don't like leave for the weekend or go on a trip or we, we've done podcasts on this. Like if you're going to do things in preparing for leaving, do it a couple of days before you go, not the night before. Right. Because, you know, what happens now, now that you're kind of getting a little bit of a mindset of bacteria, you go and you stir up, you decide, I'm going to clean my substrate before I leave tomorrow. All right. You stir the whole thing up. What are you doing? That substrate has trapped organics. If it's a deep sand bed, chances are really high that there was a bunch of hydrogen sulfide trapped in there. If it, you know, if it's deep enough, because the whole idea behind a deep sand bed is to have create an anaerobic environment, which is nothing I would ever do, folks. You'll never get me saying yes. Go ahead and do that. And we we've had this at shows a lot where people come up and they, yeah, I stirred up my deep sand bed and everything was dead. Yes, between the hydrogen sulfide and all the phosphate that was trapped in there, you released it, caused bacterial bloom, saturated the tank with hydrogen sulfide, and everything died. And the thing is, that can happen the next day as things grow, because it can take the bacteria a little bit of time to start reaching the numbers, which is what I hear you said. Don't do things a couple of days before you leave not the day before the night, especially the night before you're in a hurry, you're packing, you've got your mind doing some other, you, something, you forgot to turn something on. We've had that. Heck, I've had that. Where you forgot to turn the filter back on or something, you know, and you catch it. The oh, next. no. You've never had that. Uh, I'm super paranoid about that sort of stuff. <laughs> of course you are. <laughs> like triple and double check. I'm the type of person that if you came to watch my fish while I was gone, I have this like five page, like, this is what you should do. This is if this, then that. <laughs> Checklist, flow chart, everything. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. That's okay. But um, you, you can start, you know, th think about how the bacteria, what the bacteria are going to do, especially these heterotrophs, because they can operate in all sorts of conditions. Now, that doesn't mean, and I, I mentioned this earlier, one of the ways where we're different among them is our bacteria are isolated from aquariums. You, a lot of companies just want to go down literally to an Acme bacterial supply company, almost like the Roadrunner, you know, um, <laughs> 
TB, and get any bacteria. And then they expect that to work. And as we end here, this is what I'm going to leave you about diversity as a little bit of teaser. Just because you pour it in doesn't mean they become established, folks. Not all bacteria can live in all environments. And there has to be conditions or niches where these bacteria can thrive. And in most established systems, that's not the case. E even if, I mean, to the point of you're talking about cyanobacteria. Now, these aren't the bacteria we want. But if you have a huge outbreak of cyano and they've taken over, they're in there. They're established. And to get rid of them, you have to make you have to have a perturbation. You have to affect the system, change the system, and overall, you have to change the water quality. And without understanding those two concepts, you're basically beating your head against the wall. I mean, I've tried everything for six months, and I still can't get rid of the cyano. Maybe you got to step back and look at things a little bit differently. And if you, that's where you are right now, because we're about to end here, we have videos on this about how water. First, you got to change the environment, the water chemistry. Without knowing what your water chemistry is and then taking steps to get that where it needs to be, all the treatments, all the things you're going to do are going to be, you know, fruitless. They're, they're just, it's just going to be frustrating, a waste of time, money, and aggravation. And you're going to get, you know, just say, I'm getting rid of this fish tank. We definitely don't want that. We need the calmness. It's just so nice to sit in front of a fish tank and just watch things. And it can be done. You just, you just need to understand some basic concepts. And that's what we're here for, right, Hillary? Exactly. So, that's been a very, very small introduction to microbiology. Hillary and I have talked about trying to do something live, something with a whiteboard to explain things a little bit more, um, you know, classroom-like rather than this free-wheeling, um, some structure to it. And, and we're going to put something that together that can be kind of a reference guide of things about microbiology and, and the microbiology and bacteriology that's happening in your aquarium. I like that. We've talked before about you teaching classes. I think this is like the perfect introduction to that. Yeah, we just have to get the uh, time, the, the logistics <laughs> and the mechanics behind it. Yep. So, but if you're interested in something like that, you know, just a quick shout out. Yeah, I'm interested. I mean, we've got to pick dates, things like that, and it's recorded. But we definitely, uh, as people are becoming more aware of the importance of microbiology, we need everyone to understand the correct concepts because already there's there's stuff out there that that makes any microbial ecologist cringe, cry. <laughs> yes. So. Anything else going on, Hillary? I don't think so. 
Um, oh, yes, actually. And I'm not sure if this will be released, but even if it's released after the date, um, you have been on Tank Talk with Tyanne in the past, like back uh, end of September, beginning of October. And you're going to be on Tank Talk again this upcoming Tuesday, the 15th. So even if you don't catch it live, you can always catch the replay just go to that group. If you have questions on how to get there, send me a message. I'll be happy to send you an invite or direct you to where you need to be. And we've got lots of new exciting things happening here in the next few weeks. Oh, yes. I'm, oh, I can't wait. <laughs> but we're not going to tell you. No. You got you to gotta stay close with Hillary because she'll be posting. She's got some stuff coming on. It's it's happening, folks. All sorts yes. of products and things. Finally, yes. It's been giving birth to a two-year elephant to get this act going, but <laughs> it's on its way. So we're going to yep. be uh, talking a lot about that in the next couple of weeks once we have everything in our warehouse or even a little bit before, but um, it's going to be exciting. December, January, lots of new stuff coming from Dr. Tim's Aquatics. Yes. And don't forget, we have reptile. A lot of people don't know this, but we have reptile products. Reptile Systems, our sister company. And now that Hillary's a proud mother mm -hmm. of a bearded dragon, dragon, <laughs> the pig is very jealous. He is. He and is. Frank won't come out of his tank. Oh, no. Frank's still there. Frank is just like <laughs> spitting water all over the tank, all over the floor. Make it a mess. But we do have reptile products. And I I think I'll put this on the, if you're watching this on YouTube, I'll put all the social media handles. But uh, if you're on Instagram at my reptile systems and then um, my ASF are the social media pages. And of course, at Dr. Tim's Aquatics. And Maybe we ought to do some type of prize, some type of promo for Christmas because holiday season's coming up. So we'll figure that out too and talk about that. Yes, I like that. Yep. So, all right, everyone. This has been Dr. Tim and Hillary and another session of the Dr. Tim's Aquatics podcast. Remember, bacteria rule the world, folks. We just live in it for a short period of time. <laughs>